Welcome back, scribes and scribblers. It's your friendly neighbourhood watering hole for obliques and beaks. Yes, yes, you're listening to The Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. I'm Dinah Dye, producer-in-chief. No Chuck or Sharon today, but on the line with me now is a very special guest, Anna Chiki from the Fountain Pen Companion podcast. You may also know her as Incantadora on Instagram and other social media. Welcome, Anna. Hi, thank you. I'm so delighted to have you on the line with me and to be able to talk to you about inks, which is obviously a passion of yours and a great passion of mine as well. We may have (laughs) talked before on the podcast about the hundreds of inks that Sharon and I both have. You can never have too many inks. That's that's just beautiful. (laughs) I agree. You can never have too many inks, but you can have too little storage space. So it's always the latter that should change and not (laughs) your buying habits, right? Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Anna, would you mind introducing yourself? So, hi, I'm Anna. I live in Paris, France. Um, I've been here since 2002, so I'm not originally from here. But after growing up traveling, this is now absolutely my home. I'm the geeky kid who loved everything stationary and one day found out what a fountain pen was and never looked back. I discovered that fountain pens have a community around 2016 when I got sick and had time to play and Google fountain pens in English instead of French. Um, I essentially had found this really funky bottle of green ink that had sparkle and something I later discovered was called sheen, which was basically émeraude de chivore, and uh, it just blew my mind. I had to Google it, found not quite enough information in French, and decided to look it up in English, and then that just changed my life. So since then, um, basically, I discovered that there was uh, a small community in France, but that are mostly collectors rather than uh, straight users. Um, I found out that there is a big community in the U.S. that I had never heard of. I found out that there is a big community of pencasters that start with the pen addict and now includes us both in Oceania and now in Europe. I found out that there are things called pen meets and pen shows, that there are inks (laughs) that I can't even pronounce their names of. And uh, yeah, so since 2018, I decided to stop bugging my friends with uh, random posts of pens and open up the Incantadora account on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Initially, I wanted to do a blog, but I wanted it to be in French and English. And writing about pens in French is actually very hard because the vocabulary is very specific. Um, it's not stabilized. And uh, a lot of people just switch between English and French, which didn't really help me. So I started with the uh, Instagram only. And now only since last Sunday, we have a website. So I have a website for now um, called www.incantadora.com. So it's actually perfect timing because um, I had basically this super duper long article um, that if I posted in just in English, I would need a post plus two comments on Instagram. So I couldn't quite post it in French also. So that was kind of like the the Mm -hmm. kick I needed to just open up the website that I'd been working on for quite some time. 
So that's Incantadora.com. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. For now, there's just a few posts because I'm going to start it slowly by mixing new material and old posts about my inks that I put on uh, Instagram. Uh, Most of them are going to be ink stories or a few pen reviews and a lot of really random things. Like, for instance, Musubi makes beautiful kimono notebooks. So I'm really looking forward to sharing um, not just the review of the notebook but also all of the imagery and symbolism that can go into a kimono and how that transforms a notebook so i'm basically doing stationary stories (laughs) really looking forward to that and it's amazing that you've really gotten involved so deep just in three years since 2016 that you really delved into the community exactly um yeah so basically when i do things i do them completely i don't know how to just partially invest myself into a hobby. And especially the thing is that I think I was really passionate about this since childhood. And so I think this for me is more than anything, an opportunity to grow exponentially and to be able to share and learn by bouncing off with other stationery and fountain pen and ink lovers, Mm -hmm. which I couldn't have done by myself other than by reading the odd book that I would find in a library or basically just going to the actual shop and trying to talk to the shopkeeper. And not all shopkeepers are very talkative. Yeah, it's actually really fun because I start talking to one person and it grows and it gives me more ideas. And then it keeps, it's just kind of like a little snowball Mm -hmm. that grows and grows and grows. But since I'm having fun with it, I'm just happy to keep it growing. And every day there's something new. So it's like, um, you know, last summer, uh, no, not even last summer, at the very beginning when I started going through the Fountain Pen Network, I very randomly landed on this person saying, hey, I figured out how to 3D print a Helix pen. Is anybody interested? And I was like, yes, obviously. Uh, Where do I buy it? And um, he, after a day or so, he basically posted a page where you could sign up to get more information whenever he would actually have some. And then eventually he opened up an Instagram account and I started following him there and talking to him. And this is uh, Jerry Tong in Canada. When the first one came out, I'm not an early adopter usually. So I basically just waited to see what it looked like. Eventually, I managed to meet him at the DC Pen Show. Mm-hmm. And so these are like little steps, you know, these are baby steps. Like every three months or so, there is something making it exciting again. Yeah. What's his Instagram handle? It's uh, Additive Pens, I think. Let me double check that. But I think it's Additive Pens. And he basically now sells one of the coolest pens ever. I actually have an edition, the edition that came out uh, between last summer and last fall, which has improved greatly from the very first pens mm-hmm. he had made. Um, they seem to be more stable. They seem to not have any damage. I mean, I basically carry this in my handbag and it hasn't broken. And it has a particularity, which is that it can very easily get dyed. And some people don't like that. But mine got dyed into hot pink. So... First, I was excited because I was discovering this new technique that blew my mind. Then talking to this kid and his excitement blew my mind. Meeting the kid. I'm saying the kid because I feel old at <laughs> 34, but he's he's much younger than, than we are. And I am an outer, I mean, I'm completely in admiration to him because when I was his age, I was just 
like worried about the next paper I had to hand in college. So <laughs> I felt exactly the same when I talked to Ralph um, beginning of last year because I think yeah. he's like nineteen or twenty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. he's super young. <laughs> so young, super duper young, and 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 they're brilliant. So yeah. like you can have a conversation with them where you feel like you are the kid because they're just brilliant. They have so much knowledge, and at the same time they're like super young, and you just want to like so excited. Like, oh my god, how do you do it? <laughs> exactly, and so. Then, you know, after a month having this pen, I got super excited again because, well, it turned hot pink. <laughs> you had the pen with the same ink in it for a month and it just dyed the inside of it? Is that what happened? So basically I had used other inks in it before and I didn't get any dye. It was just like clean. I probably use some random blue that cleans out really easily. Yeah. And then with the Sailor 123, at first it started doing something funny like in one day and after a week it was hot pink. And uh, yeah, it's like really, really hot, hot pink. I put an Instagram photo of it um, like ages ago. I think I even uh, used a a black light flashlight to do an Instagram stories. And people were wondering what what this was, because it looked like a, I don't know, it looked like some alien pen from outer space. <laughs> That's amazing, because it's not a simple process of it dyeing the acrylic, because one, two, three is like, grayish purpley green right like it's mauvey purple color it just turns a pink yeah exactly so um there's two things the first one is that it does have some pink in the shading that's really really subtle you need to look for it but it is there and i haven't done the chromatography of this ink yet but i'm positive that it has the hot pink element now Sailor and brands who make a lot of inks that sheen very often use uh, fluorescent dyes. And somebody told me that when she they were mixing an ink for her in um, in uh, Kakimori, I think, in Japan, they somebody told her that if she wanted sheen, they needed to add like this fluorescent dye. Mm -hmm. And so now I am seriously wondering, mm. and I need to test it, whether most or not all of them, but a lot of the sheening inks or a lot of these um, inks that have very funky effects have this fluorescent component. And I think that's what happened here. It just They just added the hot pink to give it a certain reaction, a certain behavior. And because it's the acrylic that so the acrylic that Addictive Pens uses is not your typical acrylic. It's actually a 3D printing type acrylic. So when it's dyed, in theory, if you want to clean it and get it clean, you should basically just put uh, rubbing alcohol on it, in it, which is like the opposite that you should ever do with any of your phantom pens. So people, don't even get it near your section or your cap of this pen if you have one, because you'll kill it. It will just melt or something. But... Because it's not your standard acrylic, it picks up colors differently, and I think it made it split. Okay, so it's just the pink fluorescent particles, perhaps, that got yeah, Correct. Picked and up so in basically, acrylic. when I was writing, mm -hmm. the, the color that I had out of this pen was more of a green. So it looked different than it would in a different it pen. It looked completely ah. different. Yeah, exactly. But to me, that's fascinating, because it means that I can use this pen to test certain inks and see their behavior as well. I'd love to see if you added another funky sheening ink into it and it would just turn a different color again so now it's like a solid pink like would it go bluish purple if you added you know organic studio nitrogen <laughs> i don't know if exactly. you want to dare putting nitrogen into that pen 
I don't know. I'm tempted to get another one to do this kind of test with different colors. <laughs> and eventually I might actually have one per color or something weird like that. But we'll see. Or just get Jerry to send you a sample of the acrylic. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Good idea. I'll have to ask him. Yes. And, and he's, he's such a sweetie. I mean, I, yeah, I should just definitely ask him. <laughs> So I've been looking at your Instagram and I just started browsing your web page. Tell me about your Ink Stories project because it's it's so fascinating and I'm picking up all these tidbits and um, factoids about inks that I've never heard of before. How did you exactly. get started into this and where do you find out all this information? So one of the things that attracts me to inks is that I'm fascinated by colours. So I grew up traveling, and when you travel, you notice that colors have a completely different meaning from one culture to another. Mm -hmm. And even uh, some colors don't even exist in some cultures, but do in others. And um, it's uh, one of the things that has always baffled me. So when I started discovering that we had this deep variety of inks, obviously my first my my first reflex was to see, oh, wow, okay, so this French brand made this ink and they named it, um, um, for, for, I'm going to take Emerald de Chivard because it's, um, it's one of the first inks that got me into the hobby. They called this one Emerald de Chivard because it's the emeralds that come from Chivard. I can't remember the exact details, but uh, Jacques Herbin or G. Herbin is uh, uh, one of the oldest ink brands in in the world and their first the the way they first started was not actually working with inks but working with pigments and things they would bring from the different parts of the world that this shipping company was basically getting in their ships to bring to France and eventually they were shipping more and more uh, precious materials uh, many of which gave dyes and the, or pigments and those pigments and dyes actually eventually inspired the ink making part of the business and this is a century old company so when they are going to make a special edition ink well their inspiration is going to be the boats and the many beautiful products and and um basically the valuables that the company used to bring so emeralds and looking through each of the inks and looking at each of their stories i discover a lot of things about the cultures that made them come into reality and in a way for me that's a way of traveling it's a way of traveling through the world because obviously, um, for instance, uh, Three Oyster, when they brought in their colors of soul and they basically have inks that are inspired by the stones that make up the city or the red paint that they have in the monasteries. It's like going to Seoul, even though I've never been there yet. Um, and I do say yet because I really want to go. But uh, it's also a way of traveling through time because, for instance, at some point, a shop in Paris, in, sorry, in the south of France, in Lyon, who focuses on like they basically go through the old stocks of shops that are going to close down. And they found a crate of Carter's Inc., which is one of the oldest brands that basically revolutionized the early 20th century ink world of pens and inks. Um, and this crate had not been touched since 1942. And it wasn't a basement, like well protected by the temperature and the darkness of the crate it was in. And um, 
so I basically managed to get three little bottles <gasps> oh of this harder blue black at a price of like oh Waterman Inc. today, which is insane. And basically, I have one that I'm never going to touch um, because I'm just keeping mm-hmm. it for the sake of it. But there's another one that I opened up and I tried it and it works perfectly fine. It's actually a nice ink. It's no longer quite as blue as the blue black should be. Mm-hmm. It's more of a bluish gray now. But when you look at the label that is just simply glued on the bottle that is perfectly made, um, the ink, how the older inks are actually kind of sometimes safer than our modern boutique inks because they used to put really good fungicides uh, that would protect the inks in the long term. So it's a way of learning about this world, about this heritage that could make this hobby possible today and also all of the sources of inspiration. And so now when I get a new ink um, or I discovered that there's a new ink brand, like uh, the day Kyoto Tag uh, came up with Kyoto Oto, I think that day... I think I must have um, just kind of like my world stopped for a second. And I was like, oh, my God, because when I heard Yamabuki Iro, I know I knew what that was. It to me, it's Yamabuki Iro is a traditional golden color used in traditional kimono dyeing methods. And so that's actually why I wanted to make it one of the first posts that I put on my website, because Basically, Kyono Oto, uh, the Kyono Oto line of tag, uh, of Kyoto tag, sorry, um, is inspired by traditional dyeing methods of Japan, the ones that basically were used for uh, making kimonos mm-hmm. since the Heian era, which is basically the period of Japanese uh, history where all of the imperial traditions were stabilized, where kimonos were basically made what they we, what we know today. Um, a lot of the symbolism was also stabilized then. A lot of those dyes would have been natural dyes, wouldn't they? Exactly. They are all plant dyes. And since I'm also a really uh, big geek in terms of uh, botany. So I love flowers. I love everything related to plants. Yeah, I basically spend a lot of time just going into the, okay, so this is a traditional name of a kimono and this is the plant and how is this dye used? Do we still use it? Does somebody else use it? Mm -hmm. Um, My initial articles on Instagram are maybe like, a tenth of the stuff I started, I was reading because I was limited by the amount of space because in, Instagram actually has a character limit. Um, and now basically I'm enjoying it more because I can, I have more space. So you can expand on your older articles on your blog now. Exactly. That's basically what I'm probably going to start doing. Um, I know that uh, for Keshi uh, Murasaki, I actually had to, so I wrote this huge article and then I had to basically cut it, like reduce it as much as possible simply because I lacked the space. And I mean, I I spent like a week researching this ink, not doing research in the sense like you're working and doing research, just simply enjoying it and trying to find all this information, which I couldn't find in books here that I had at hand. So I ended up going through Chrome into Japanese websites that Chrome nicely translated to me and cross-checking the websites to make sure that I was understanding things correctly from Japanese. Yeah. Because I do not speak Japanese. So I 
definitely could not read that or or be sure of what I was reading. And so I would find one keyword and then go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And so that's one of my main sources. Um, At some point, you're going to have to learn how to read Japanese and then you can go as yeah. deep into it as, for example, um, Dan, <laughs> who I think Sharon interviewed in our last ep- yes. oh, episode before last, who is so deep into Japanese inks. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, exactly. So basically, um, so for the past decade or so, I was very keen on learning Mandarin because I worked in Shanghai twice and never I'm had the Shanghai. chance to take classes. <laughs> so I love Shanghai and I almost stayed living there, but... And, well, my my life always brings me back to Paris. So I never had a chance to take formal lessons. And now I'm tempted to say, okay, well, maybe instead of Mandarin, I should study Japanese because culturally there is so much I love from Japan. So yeah, this is this is a big dilemma I have at the moment. <laughs> I also get a lot of help from people like uh, Andy in Taiwan and uh, Jacob in Japan or Daryl from Musubi, who all speak um, Japanese or Mandarin. And my understanding from uh, Andy is that, for instance, if you know traditional Mandarin, it sometimes also helps you with the Japanese. So, yeah, I, I, I rely on friends. Um, I'm actually very lucky to have a lot of friends to whom I can go and just ask random questions um, to learn about my inks. Uh, I also have the luck of having uh, LG Soltech, who is a massive uh, fountain pen network ink reviewer Mm -hmm. who has very particular tastes, uh, which I don't always align with. So it's really funny. Um, And he's actually living in Paris right now. Um, He's actually from originally from China. And uh, he has taught me enormous amounts of uh, things, not just in terms of the story about the inks, but also the way inks work. So mm-hmm. being able to distinguish the difference between a sheen that's a full sheen or what is con- technically considered just a halo or what is actually um, what is wrong with certain inks when something is going funny, what is actually wrong with the ink. Also, the combinations, for instance, uh, sometimes I think an ink is a little bit funny, but he's like, no, OK, I've I've reviewed this ink. I've used it many times. This is not a dry ink. It should work well. Test the pen, test the paper, test this, test that. And in a way, these questions challenge your knowledge and makes you want to explore more. Because a lot of people just put shade on the inks. But for instance, I'm a very, very big fan of nitrogen, uh, which I know a lot of people find questionable. (laughs) Controversial. Clear from. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But I figured out how to make it work. Um, I use it essentially in Twisby's uh, demonstrators because they have a piston and it's clear. So I always put them in pens where I can keep all air out of the chamber. Mm -hmm. So I'm basically just priming the piston permanently and making sure no air gets inside. And I've had pens inked with it for two, three months. Never an issue. All is right well. No problem. But my issue with nitrogen is not the clogging, it's with the smearing once you get it onto the page. Ah, uh, yes. So that's another thing. Um, it's The same thing would go with California teal. Just don't put it in a pen that's too wet. Mm-hmm. It, basically, these inks, they are more viscous. And since they are more viscous, the, 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 the lubricating element makes them harder to dry. Or the way they dry, if you put too much, it will basically be like if you put too much cream, a very rich cream on your hands, 
it will stay on the surface if you put too much. If you put just enough, the skin will absorb it and you'll be fine. So, for instance, I have California teal on my Twisby Aurora, which I did not modify the, the tines yet to make it super wet, which I usually do, because I thought that the flow, it's good to have some pens that have a, a drier flow. Yeah, well, my idea of dryer is normal for everybody. I kind of modify them all to be uh, geysers, basically, <laughs> or hoses. It's just really bad. Um, and basically, I was trying to explain to a colleague that California teal on Tomoe River paper smears, but because I'm using a normal flow, it doesn't smear. So my uh, my demonstration mm. was a complete failure because the ink was acting properly. And it's still sheened. I don't have any dry pens either because I do the same. I, I tweak all the nibs to be fairly wet riders. There you but go. <laughs> I might have to try that with a brand new pen that, you know, maybe like a 3776, which naturally writes on the drier side. Exactly. Or an exactly. extra fine nib. Yep. But then you don't get the really extremely sheening properties that you want from a nitrogen well california teal is a sheening ink but much less than nitrogen and i have a ton of sheen on my notebook so i don't i think it's because it's designed to sheen it will sheen no matter what you do especially nitrogen nitrogen is just ridiculous um i'm having the same experience with cold pens robert right now um i put it on in my coloro um, this is the one that's in a pair with maureen isn't it Robert yes, and Maureen, exactly. yeah. Okay. Exactly, Robert and Maureen. So the story behind that one is hilarious. So Cold Pens goes to Styamine and tells them, oh, we want some of those super sheening inks. Please make <laughs> design some for us. And Styamine goes and gives them a few examples of what they could provide. And uh, Cold Pens picks these two colors. And now Diamond tells them, well, now you just need to pick a pen. Something like, I don't know, like Robert or Maureen. And Cold Pen says, well, let's go with that. That's perfect. <laughs> let's do that. And now they're so the big bottles are called Robert and Maureen, but the little bottles are called Little Row and Little Mo. Oh, and that is so cute. So I am completely in love with these. That's adorable. Um, and I love how right. Maureen Maureen is the blue and Robert is the more traditionally female purple. Exactly. And I think that's so 2018, 2019 of them to do that because I know a lot of guys now who openly admit that their favorite color is pink. And I love that. That's just that's just awesome. Um, and yeah, and Robert is a really amazing ink. It has the same smearing, potential smearing property. But I put it on a Coloro with my architect RT from Nibs on Point. Mm -hmm. And basically... It's sheening, but it's not smearing because the architect is is set to be a little bit drier okay. than my normal nibs. And I don't want to modify it because John's work is just amazing. Um, so, oh, I forgot. So to make my Incantadora website, mm -hmm. I also created an Incantadora YouTube video uh, site. Sorry, because, yeah, I'm doing a lot of things lately. Wow. Um, yeah, because I had all these uh, Instagram live store visits yep. and uh, videos of me playing with inks and uh, things like that that people ask every so often. And once the Instagram live story dies, well, it's no longer there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to put them on the website and to put them on the website, I needed to have them uh, hosted somewhere. So I figured that YouTube would be perfect. And when I had to do an introduction, I didn't know I was like, I don't want to do some, you know, IT imagery that doesn't say anything about me or the 
or the hobby. Um, and I don't want some weird music. I kept listening to little tracks of music and going insane because everything, just nothing sounded right. And a colleague of me, when I'm just frustrated and I'm I'm back to work, I start writing and a colleague just starts looking at me super weird. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And she's like, well, I'm listening to your pen. And that just that just made it perfect. I was like, right, this is an architect nib. It, the sound of the architect nib is beautiful. ASMR, really. <laughs> right. And so yeah. on the introduction of all these clips, the nib is that architect RT, which is I think it's becoming my favorite nib um, because I, every time I use it, it just makes me happy. And the ink I'm using is Robert and it's actually so sheeny. It was ridiculous. I kept uh, working with the angle to get the light right. And I was using natural sunlight. And it was really funny because I was like, I have no idea how this video is not picking up the sheen because all I'm seeing on my side is just sheen, loads and loads of sheen. Um, and so, yeah, so basically this is this is what makes me happy every single day. I just grab a pen and I grab an ink. And I start thinking about the ink or I start thinking about how it writes with this pen. That's how I got into this. I think what really excites me about um, seeing your work and the style of your work is that, you know, when I, 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 I used to read a lot of ink um, reviews online, both on FPN and on people's blogs, and they tend to follow a very stable sort of format you know, there's water tests, there's resistance tests, there's chromatography, there's descriptions of the color, descriptions of flow, ratings, um, and this is all very useful. But I yes. think what you're trying to do is something a little bit different where you're applying both a technical element. So there's the science um, aspect, which is trying to take the subjective element out of it. Um, so where you test it in different types of pens to really try to isolate what the properties of the inks are. But you're also telling a story which is cultural, historical, and it's like a narrative of how the ink came to be rather than just the subjective experience of using it. And that I really, um, I'm really attracted to that. And it, it's a perspective that I see very little of, to be honest, in, in the community. But it, I used to see it a lot when I was in the community that reviewed perfumes. Because I was, oh, yes. I'm, I'm obsessive about perfumes and I collect them. And that same combination of both art, artistry, um, or interest in the artistry and the inspiration and with also the technical elements, the chemical composition, um, the behavior on skin, on paper, on whatever in the air. Um, so that merge of science and craft and art exactly. is really what makes it so amazing and so engaging to read. So I, I love that. Thank you. It's, it's, um, so I grew up in a family who's also completely obsessed by perfume. Mm -hmm. And I guess that my skin is really bizarre. All I can wear seems to be deep teak and not all of them because my skin just makes all. So basically something like Angel is not sweet on my skin. It's just to give you an idea. What's your favorite deep teak? Um, so right now I'm I'm completely obsessed with Tempo. Okay. Um, but historically, my two favorites are L'Ombre dans l'eau. Yes. And, um, and uh, Philosikos. Mm -hmm. And I keep going back to 
those depending on the year and the mood. Yeah. So now I'm alternating with Filosicos, but I know that eventually at some point I'll go back to Lompanolu because they're 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 just my go-tos and I love them. Um, but because I have this frustration that I can only go so far in perfume. Um, and you should talk to LG Saltic. His his name on Instagram is LG S O L T E K. Okay. And he's an ink reviewer and a perfume reviewer. So wow, I think you'd get along okay. great with him. Yeah. And he actually convinced me to get uh, a bottle of vintage opium mm -hmm. because I loved it. And I had wow, a modern okay. bottle and I don't like it at all. So I'm going to, I'm, I should be receiving it next week. So I'm kind of like excited the, about there this. There is so much in common, I think, between, you know, inks and perfume, because exactly. when you're talking about, you know, vintage juice, that, that phrase that terminology gets used in perfume circles as well and um, natural oxidation and degradation and whether something that is vintage is formulated the same today when it's the same name it's the same perfume or it's the same ink that's the same conversation that we have um, whether exactly. it's inks or perfumes so <laughs> and it also has that thing where it's extremely personal so basically I had this frustration with perfumes that couldn't get me very far I basically found another another way of sampling magic in a, in small bottles, um, and when I'm looking at an ink, I'm trying to understand the culture behind it and why it came to be, because that's probably what I was raised with. I was raised by looking at a perfume bottle or a or even um, an ingredient. You know, when you you're, you're you're cooking or you're going to a restaurant and you find something that's extremely tasty, and you find out that it's actually an ingredient that comes from this part of the world and it has this and this tradition and so forth. Um, so I basically found something similar in inks and, you know, the colors, sometimes I have three, three ink bottles and the colors are very similar, but subtly different. And what makes them subtly different is not just somebody in the lab trying to make something that is different. It's just that he's trying to translate something that somebody is looking for. Some of them are accidental experiments. I'm sure of it because, um, they have really odd or funky or random names. Um, but some of them, you know, when you look at uh, Organic Studios, which I'm, I'm I'm actually quite a fan of Tyler's work because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's exactly that process. He took vintage inks, reverse engineered them, and tried to say something about the era in which they were used or the period that inspired him to do this. Um, and uh, sometimes he's uh, trying to bottle a a color that actually comes from a chemical reaction so for instance his copper is actually not a brown color his copper is a copper teal because it's the teal that is the patina over that copper and a lot of people have tried to do this some better than others his is actually quite accurate and i think that's really interesting um one of my favorite inks that he made is uh the maryland crab blue and uh, in Maryland, they have these blue crabs that are absolutely beautiful and they're delicious. And I spent four years of my of my adolescence in Maryland. And when I look at that ink, it really just reminds me of those crabs. And that makes it beautiful. It doesn't smell like crabs. But that's OK. I don't think my colleagues would appreciate the smell. <laughs> um, but having the color is is just 
perfect. It's 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 an experience in itself. Do you find with the more artisanal ink brands, you know, the ones that have a you know a single creator behind it, um, mm-hmm. a single creative vision, that they have more interesting stories to share? Very often, yes. But I wouldn't say it's only the small ones. I'm um, uh, so except for the Sailor Ink Studio inks where they put a hundred in one day, but even those have a story behind them. So I find that quite interesting. Um, because they have one person who is uh, their their ink mixer, basically, um, they portray things very accurately, and they actually have insane stories behind them. Um, the most very often the most interesting stories come from those inks. Um, bigger houses, for instance, I I like Mont Blanc inks, but they can be very hit or miss. Um, the Year of the Pig, for instance, almost made me cry when I saw it because it's a very, very uh, neon, icy ring, too light to read yellow. And I don't understand the link to the pig. I've already been told that the Year of the Rat is going to be also a yellow, but I think it's going to be a little bit more of a golden yellow. Um, for the Year of the Rat, if they do a golden yellow, I can understand it as since I am a rat, I basically know quite well the what it symbolizes in Chinese culture, and uh, I understand that very, a lot of people see the rat as as the greedy, hardworking creature that likes gold. So <laughs> the, if they make a really golden yellow, mm-hmm. I would understand it. But why did they do such a light yellow for the pig? That's beyond me. And a lot of the reds are the same. I don't understand why they make so, them. So um, the really nice ones, I think I have a few samples of them. There's Mahatma Gandhi, which is really nice. Oh, yes. Like a saffron it yellow. It shades exactly. very nicely. Yeah. And Ink of Joy, I think, is another... I think that's what it's oh, called. Oh, wow. That's so the other Ink yellow Joy, one. Yeah. yeah. Ink of Joy is it's a little bit more orangey. Mm. And it's really beautiful because it has a richness to it. The, the color is really interesting and unique. Um, I've only ever had the chance to sample Ink yes, of Joy. Same. Um, yeah. And, and uh, most people who have a bottle will not sell it unless you pay them around 200 euros for the bottle because it's priceless. It it's it it's actually a it's actually an ink that brings joy. It's it's it, it, I mean they they got that one right. The one I really love is uh Swan Illusion which can yes. basically either so people either love it or hate it because it's a really unique color. Um and to me, it's actually like poetry in a bottle. That's why I love it so much. Um, it has all. So if you take a swan, one of these swans are not perfectly white, as people would like to think. They have a little bit of a nuance, a little bit of gray, a little bit of beige between the feathers, especially if you look inside the wings. Mm-hmm. And it actually has that in the bottle it has that little bit of gray a little bit of beige it's a very animalistic very like natural like if i if i caress my my orange cat he's not orange he has beige and he has golden so it has this very natural very wild feel to it and at the same time it's extremely delicate and subtle it's just beautiful um i i, I tend to like a lot of inks that people um 
don't quite give it enough love because they are very odd colors. Um, the My favorite one that people tend to hate is Edelstein Ruby. The one that's slightly pinkish? Is that? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the risk with calling inks with gem names is that I think that the ink makers or the brands that make the, make the ink, because Pelican is doesn't just make ink, um, is that they want to uh, convey this sense of elegance and richness by giving them the names of gems uh, for their elegant line. And what's completely hilarious to me is that Pelican did this with the Edelstein line, and now Lamy is doing the same. And they're both German brands. Monte Verde has the same line. They have um, a gemstone inks. So the sapphire, yes. the opals, the, the olivine. Yeah, the olivine. Yeah, all of it. But there's a difference because for Monteverde is just one line of ink. Like they have their mood inks and they have uh, uh, the black line. And these are just a collection. But for Lamy and and Pelican, who are both German brands, by the way, so I think it's saying something about about German culture. um, These are their elegant lines. So they have a standard line of ink and then they have the luxury line of ink. And the luxury line of ink gets to have gemstones. So... It's a different relationship to the concept of the gem. Mm -hmm. And the risk there is that very often gems don't have a single color. They have many. So tourmalines, for instance, to me is funny because there's even watermelon ones and... uh, there's so green, many colors, there's right? yellows, there's pinks. Exactly. My, my mother used to collect uh, bracelets that had tourmalines in different colors. And so when I saw that it was... a Tourmaline ink. Um, back then, I was just I wasn't it could into be the any hobby, color. I saw that this ink existed, and I was like, "What color is it?" <laughs> sapphires also come in all colors. There's yellow oh sapphires God, yes. and pink sapphires. Yes, exactly. And rubies. I've seen rubies that go from a deep garnet color yes. to pink. And I remember almost buying one in Asia once that was kind of like my favorite hot pink shade because it was just the perfect hot pink shade. But we have this idea that a ruby is red because we called we the the, the I don't know in which moment of the 20th century in North America we call the color ruby or red exactly and uh, ruby reds are apples ruby reds are car names um, ruby red is a very specific shade of red for people but to me Edelstein ruby is potentially one of the most interesting colors in the entire Edelstein line because it is the most unique color. There is no other ink that has this color. And I have more than 800 inks and I still have not found a single one that has that combination of a, uh, of a warm pink because uh, for some reason inks usually have a cooler uh, pink colors, which is why I'm liking. Uh, it's what I like about the uh, 100th anniversary pilot pinks. They're actually warm, which is really rare. And Bishamonten is growing on me by the day. I think I'm going to end up buying a bottle of that one, um, a big one, because I already have the small one. So the so ruby has this fleshy color, and then it has the sheen, and that sheen is unique. And so something that I'm also looking for in inks and the stories that I'm trying to tell is why is this color unique? Why did they not make it like the standard? So I, I've been toying around with an article for that uh, ruby red uh, that is not a ruby red, that Edelstein ruby that is pink because every time I go on Slack or on Instagram and somebody's talking about that ink, they're saying how much, how frustrated they are about it. 
Whereas to me, it's, oh my God, it's like the one ink that I want to always have in a pen because if I want a surprise, I want something that looks like nothing else, that's one of them. Yeah, because the name sets up an expectation of what it looks like. So you, you buy that ink because you want just a utilitarian red, like a deep red. And then what you get is not a red. Exactly. But you just have to and love it for what it is, I suppose. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's easy to play it safe and make, you know, gene colors, lines, where you have five, six blues, because everybody loves blue ink, apparently. I'm saying apparently because I'm, I, I, I grew up with them. So I, I rebelled against the, <laughs> the royal blue ink when I was 12. Oh, yes. And um, I, I like blues if they are really nice. But I don't just go for the standard blue ink. Like, I didn't have a bottle of Serenity Blue uh, until last week when I decided that I needed an ink to compare uh, pen nibs against each other. But otherwise, that's like the last color I want to ink up in a pen. I'd rather have a black, which is kind of weird. But yeah, um, if you have a really beautiful blue, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. But if you're just making blues because you know they will sell, mm, I'm... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I'm, okay. I'm not convinced. Since we're getting into what you like and what colors you don't like, what are your top five favorite inks? Oof, that's hard. Ha, huh. uh, that's really hard. I think Emerald de Chivor because it uh, it blew my mind and it made, it introduced me to the hobby. And um, it's just if you want to show how magic a single ink can be, that one does it all. It mm -hmm. just it, it, it has the right amount of everything. It has a beautiful color. It has a beautiful way and contrasting way of sheening, but not too much, just, just enough. And it has the, the shimmer that just kind of ties it up all together, but that you're not obliged to have. You can just not shake the bottle and, and so you can dose it. And that's really fun. Um, I actually spent a month or two writing with it at work and the reaction of my <laughs> colleagues was priceless just to have them pick up my page and say, whoa, this is funny ink. I had a lot of surprise. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of, I don't know how to read this. <laughs> and uh, a lot of, oh my God, I want some. <laughs> and and um, half of them didn't even realize that I was using a fountain pen until they saw me do that. So that was really fun um, to get them into this um i i have a soft spot for waterman mysterious blue because when i rebelled against the washable blues i discovered this ink and uh, it is the only ink i have consistently used for over 20 years and i never get tired of it i it, it's it's also really interesting color because it's uh, and i like that you know when they changed the names of all the inks from mm -hmm. florida blue to serenity and everything i think the only one that gained with the name is mysterious blue because it's it's a technically a blue black when the ink is fresh but even if it's like in the bottle and you don't touch it it ages and then it turns teal and that way of aging is actually makes it mysterious <laughs> because it's really funny. Mysterious blue is an iron gall, isn't it? Mysterious blue is not an iron oh, gall. Okay. It's normal standard blue. It's actually a super safe. All the watermint inks and especially the the blues are the best inks for vintage pens. So these are super soft, super kind, very well balanced. Um, but that one it just changes because the pigment ages, just like my Carter 
uh, ink, the blue black turned gray over the, well, well, that one was from 1942, so that one had time to age. But this one, the aging process is faster. But the teal color that we get is, ah, it's, it's my favorite teal. It's just beautiful. So that ink is uh, undeniably one of my absolute favorites. And afterwards, I have a very, very big problem because there are too many inks that I love. Um, and they kind of change like according to the mood of the day and the season of the year. And it's really hard. Um, I used to hate oranges, but Corneline d'Egypte is, it's, I think they got that one right as well. I really love the Rouge d'Orion is my favorite red. So yeah, Jacques Herbin, Jacques Herbin is a brand that I really like, and it's not because I'm French, or it's 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 just that I really, really like them. Um, oh, Deep Sea by Robert Oster. Um, it was my uh, empty ink challenge ink last year, and it was basically I had two pens inked with it at all times, and I didn't pick it up because I had to. I picked it up because I loved it. And now that my ink bottle is empty, I am desperate. I need a replacement. That has never happened before. I'm pretty sure you can get um, 100ml bottles of the Robert Oster inks. <gasps> really? I, oh I my think God. so. I've seen them. I need to write to Robert Oster. <laughs> oh, that man is a genius. Really. Oh, and I'm forgetting my, another genius. Um, Conrad from KWZ. Um, yes, I like so, their inks too. So because I had Miss Scriptus the first time they brought in Northern Twi uh, Twilight, somebody gave me a sample and made me miserable because I love that ink so much. It became my grail ink. And I started begging people for a sam for samples. And I had like these eight milliliters of this ink that I basically treasured. And I would only put it in my absolute best pens for special occasions. It was like, you know, like... Um, it was since we were talking about perfumes earlier, my mom had a thing for the perfume first and she would only wear it with her, when she would go out to her finest, most elegant galas. Yes. Well, this is what this ink was for me. And um, then uh, last year, I basically they they brought back Northern Twilight and, and Maple Red and um, they had this thing. So if you couldn't make it to the pen show, you could. Uh, send an email to Bauer Inc. as of midnight of the date in which she was opening the sale in very, very limited quantities to those who couldn't make it to the show. And I was on a business trip in Mexico at that, that day. And so I put an alarm clock for when it would be midnight in Australia, <laughs> midnight in Paris, and then midnight in uh in the in in Toronto where she is in Canada. And I basically sent her an email for each of these time zones <laughs> because I was so desperate to get this ink and now that I have it it's just, it's just gorgeous but I'm still using it very very sparingly because I want to keep that magic feeling yes of you it's a special occasion that. ink now it's a special yes. occasion ink exactly it's a it's an I want to feel happy and special and it's not a sheening ink or a sh it is a slightly sheening ink but it's not a shimmering ink so most people would put Emeraude de Chivard in the special occasion inks, but I go to work with that. My special occasion ink is Northern Twilight. And yeah, it's, it's, I, I just completely love this ink. The, the irony of this is that I'm definitely more into purples and pinks normally, but I'm, I expect so much of a purple and I expect so much of a pink ink that I'm not sure I have one that I would put in my top five. But I have three blues in that top five. 
Um, you haven't quite yeah. found the perfect pink yet. No, no. I, I, there's a ton of them that I love, but it, I can't say, oh, this one just kind of gets me. Ah, it's too hard. <laughs> Pinks, I've tried a few of the Kobe ones. I've tried a few of the Sailor 123s. I have uh, Pesh, uh, which, by the way, Pesh, that Pesh pink from the um, Sailor Gentle Inks is really fascinating because there is you know pêche means peach in french but uh there are different types of peaches and there is one called la pêche de vigne which is the most exquisite of all peaches but it's really rare to see it you would not necessarily see it if you go to a grocery store or a uh, fruit and veggies store because um this plant, this type, the, the tree that makes those peaches, it usually gets infested first, no matter what you do. So it's really difficult to protect and really difficult to make. So very often it is used in France in industry. So you'll have like uh, ice creams made with this type of peach, but you'll seldom see them in like stores until fairly recently. And um, it is potent. It has this very the fruit inside has the exact same light pink color as the ink sailor pesh so i really like that one but it's not like my pink like i've i was a little girl who loved pinks and my pink is kind of this uh fuchsia hot pink kind of like strong personality kind of pink and i tried a lot that are close but they're never quite perfect so tell me what is your process for testing and swabbing your inks so i have I have two types of paper that are my beginning step. So before I even put it into a pen, I will swab an ink. The only way it gets swab, uh, inked up immediately is if I've already tested it in somebody else's pen and I've actually been able to see what it's like. Um, but usually I'll swab it first. I have two types of paper for this. I have the coloring cards made by Well-Appointed Desk, which are, well, I think they're today's standard. Mm-hmm. And I have these uh, cards which are made by, hold on, um, Maruman. They're made by Maruman. And uh, these are these anniversary word cards that they made ages ago. And I found a shop in Hungary that still had them. And I bought like 10 of them or something like that, something completely insane. And um, the reason why I use both is that the colorings is a standard. Uh, The Maruman one shows fading a little bit better than most and it shows that the ink will function on a little bit more absorbing paper so i like to use both um i i'll usually pink one of the two papers uh depending on what i expect the ink to do if i know how it you know if i've read anything about it before but if it's like the really funky inks i sometimes buy from china i'll use both papers then i have my tools are basically a a metal chopstick and actually to be to be more precise, it's a metal Korean chopstick, so it's a flat and rectangular. Um, I so for some weird reason, even though I'm technically from South America, I learned how to eat with chopsticks before using a fork and knife. I have a lot of metal chopsticks, so I tried them all. I like the flat one because it has different angles, and I'll use that to literally smear the ink. No, sorry, I'm starting by the end. So I ha- I use this, and I use a dip nib or a glass nib pen. 
very seldomly if I already inked up the pen because it's a pen already new. I'll do it with a pen, but most usually I use a dip nib, um, usually a semi-flex one because the two flexy ones will be finicky. And I do want to see if the ink shades and how it behaves when the ink is a little bit bigger. I write down the name of the ink on the top of the card. Um, usually with some indications if it's a special ink for some reason, like if it's an ink of the year or limited to an event or a store. And then I'll draw a flower. And these, uh, this, the flower is actually a dahlia. And I've been drawing dahlias since childhood. And um, it, there's a rhythm to how I draw them. And they enable me to see how the ink reacts when you, A, write quickly and B, when you have movement. So sometimes on the writing, since I'm writing very slowly, you'll have some effects that are different from those of the flower. Mm -hmm. And then I'll use the chopstick to, to basically pick up ink and swab the card to swatch the ink. But it's, uh, it's a very dense scrape um, because depending on the ink, what I like is that the, because I'm used to this metal chopstick, I can see the density of the ink. Is it lubrified? Is it a dry ink? Did they put a lot of that soupy, soapy, bubbly thing that I think is used by some uh, to kind of try to dilute it and make it more liquid, but that sometimes acts funny. So usually those don't have any grip to the metal and those are usually very dry uh, inks. Okay. Um, yeah, I usually don't like those. Um, but it tells me a lot about the, about the ink's texture and it will sometimes help me pick what pen I want to test it in afterwards. Um, and I'll put a lot of ink on the paper. Um, so I'll try to spread it in a way that some places are, have less ink so that you can see the ink, um, in a more nuanced way, but I'll always pick one spot where I'll pretty much kind of just like drop ink onto it and let it dry. Um, so usually I'm hiding my ink swabs all over the apartment in like yeah. high places where the waiting, for can't get it. <laughs> waiting for them to dry, waiting for them to dry, which is really funny. So you like this morning, I just found a Mont Blanc <laughs> palm, you know, the, the faux palm green because, um, I hid it so well that I couldn't find it. So some inks get swabbed more than once for that reason. <clears throat> and, um, once I've done that, depending on whether a, I already, if the, the color gets me excited, or not, then I'll ink up a pen. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of ink. I, I know for a fact that I haven't tested them all. And I'm not like, I have friends who basically they track what pens and what inks they've used so that they make sure that they've cycled through every, that's not me. I, 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 I don't have that stress. I, I don't need it. I'm, I'm okay just inking up what's exciting to me. And also because sometimes something's not exciting to me on the day I receive it. And then I'll just look through my swabs and months later, years later, I'll find that, oh, wow, this ink is really cool. It matches the mood I'm in today. And then that's when I'll ink it up. And that's cool. And if I keep re-inking an ink, like uh, Pilot's uh, 100th anniversary Cote Son, which got re-inked twice in about two weeks' time, which is a rare occurrence as well. That means I really like an ink and it means that uh, I'm not just digging deeper to know more about it because I'm fascinated by the history, but I'm actually really interested by the ink itself. And for those, I'll usually ink them up in one or two pens. I'll try them on, um, so I'm using Tomoe River for my bullet journal. 
And then I'll also test it on a number of random notebooks that I have. So I have Midoriya or Leishterm at work at all times. I'll usually use also a Clairefontaine somewhere because, um, well, the luxury of living in France is that Clairefontaine is a run-of-the-mill paper here. So my printer paper is Clairefontaine. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. My my printer paper is just take the paper from the office then. Well, no, 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 no. That's not my office. Oh, okay. Paper. Your home printer my paper. My <laughs> printer paper. Exactly. No, my my office uses this really standard like office <laughs> brand, which kind of does feather, but is not so bad. Um, I've actually been surprised at not seeing everything feather onto it, but I can't use it as a reference because I don't think since it's a really cheap office brand, I'm not sure that all packages are the same. They're inconsistent and. But my DCP 90 grounds by Claire Fontaine is just wonderful. So I use it like draft paper. Um, I bought it especially because sometimes you'll see these beautiful uh, coloring or calligraphy pages and you want to print them out and you want to use them immediately. Or I want to print an article for myself and just put my notes and color around it and stuff like that. So that's why I have my own printer paper. I love your swabs because you can always tell when it's yours. it's It looks so different and distinctive from everyone else's swabs. <laughs> so I think if someone just, you know, stole your image and tried to pass it off as theirs, someone would just point out, oh, that's totally Anna's. Yeah, exactly. And it's really funny because sometimes at, at first I only did the flowers and I was terrified of drawing anything else because, well, I've always been told by my family, we cannot draw in this family. So you cannot oh. draw in this family. Yeah, which is really Very weird. Very strong feelings about drawing. Yeah, no, my par- my family was really bizarre. Um, so so I only started drawing, like, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago when I started doing bullet journaling. And um, when I started doing bullet journals, I started doing little drawings because I was bored or because I had the time and it relaxed me and my friends liked them. So sometimes I'll be like, this is a banmi ink from China and it's animal themed. I should put a snake on the snake ink and a bird on the bird ink and I drew them and I thought oh my god they look really funky and people are gonna know they're gonna be like Anna what are you doing um but people are telling me that they can they can recognize that those are mine and that they like them so sometimes every so often I'll do a little drawing instead of the flower but um yeah, those made me a little bit nervous because I, you know, I don't have Leo's mad skills at drawing. I don't know how he does it. Uh, I'm a very shy drawer, and so yeah, they they I changed techniques. Uh, I had a first technique where I would just do like a little round swab in the middle, and then I met Daniel, um, who I'm podcasting with on the Found a Pen Companion uh, on a trip in Hungary, and I think we had like a two hour meeting or something like that. But in those two hours, he showed me his book of swabs, and I was like oh my God, you can see the color on the side. And so I redid the over 100 swabs I had already done um, to make sure that they were all in the same style. And So looking at the the wad of swab cards from the side, you can just see the rainbow of colors. Exactly. And also when I want to compare them, so these are my greens, for instance. So like if I just do something like this, I'll be like, okay, so my warmer greens are on this side and so I'll just open it straight there and that way I can look for my colors very quickly but right now my inks are they're basically structured by color and I've categorized them by warmer or cooler in each one of the books but um, after years of searching I at last found a little drawer set 
the kind that is usually used for library cards back in the day that is made with like this gorgeous wood that I have no idea what it is because I'm not an expert in in woods um but it has six drawers it's quite big it's really nice and uh when i'm in the u.s this summer i'm definitely going to come back with the uh, color decks cards so that i can classify them by name and brand uh which should make my swab finding more efficient and um i love when people ask me about inks um actually i love it when people ask questions full stop so um yeah, now that I have the blog, if somebody asks me a question specifically on an ink or if they want a comparison or something, um, it will. what I'm hoping is to be more and more efficient because right now I know it takes me it, it takes me easily something around 20 minutes to find the right color and compare them because I have too many swabs right now and the, the system's not efficient. So um, now that I've passed the 800 mark, I need to I need to do this better. It would be such a great resource. And if you could one day somehow provide it on your web page, I think that'd be amazing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a artist really, but I'm obsessive about pigments as well. And there's a watercolor artist and instructor called Jane Blundell, who on her blog does these incredible comparisons of pigments and swabs side by side. And I can just She's see amazing. that. Yes, yes, isn't she great? Um, oh, yes, she is. I was going to say, when you have 800 swabs, it must be, I know, because I have around 600. And I'm always torn what is the best way to organize them because once you start oh, it it's such a commitment right because what you're, what you're talking about organizing them by brand and um, collection that's easier for finding specific inks right but it's more difficult if you want to show a range of inks in the same sort of color and that's how I currently have my swabs arranged as well so by family exactly. and color um, exactly <laughs> Exactly. So, um, so I've had long, long, long conversations about this very topic. Yes. <laughs> and when I say conversations, it's like conversations in major plural over the years with uh, Inca Day Denise, uh, who is a more traditional reviewer, as you as you've mentioned before. You know, she does the the chromatography. She does the swabs. She also compares so all useful. the inks. And uh, she's amazing because she actually manages to put one every single day. I have no idea how she does this because um, I tried. I tried and I failed miserably. And then I decided to not kick myself and do things to, to, to uh, go, do, it, do it the way that felt right because it, otherwise I'd be miserable. But um, I talked to her. I also talked uh, about it to, with, uh, with Jessie Rain. Uh, on Instagram. Uh, I think her last name is Coles, so her name is Jessie Coles, and uh, she's an expert at uh, Esterbrook Pens, but she is also one of the biggest ink collectors that I know, and I'm not sure I've talked about it with Jägen, but I've but Jaken doesn't necessarily do the cards, so it's a little bit different. Um, so the thing is that you, you pretty much need both. You do need the colors coordinated because if you're especially if you are into it because you love colors and otherwise I don't know how you make it to over a hundred inks if you don't like color so obviously the color is crucial because when you want to pick a, a, an ink you might pick an ink because you're looking for a reference in terms of somebody asks you for a certain hue or what inks are similar so you need to have them in that color coordinated Correct. way but also the color 
the 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 organization per color family enables you to say, well, today, so this week Notre Dame died, and I am very sad, and I mm -hmm. want a color that conveys that I am sad, and so I will go into my grays and look for something ashy. And I I had gone to walk around Notre Dame on Tuesday to see how it was. And I saw the color of the stone in the evening. And uh, then I, I went home and I decided to use Kirisame because, well, it kind of conveyed the mood well. And it wasn't too dark and too desperate, but it kind of translated how sad I was. And um, somehow um, it enabled me to enjoy the spleen of that moment, mm -hmm. and on Wednesday, writing with my gray ink, I kind of listed my mood. Um, I also wrote with purple inks because um, a dear friend, uh, Michelle, Michelle Rain on Instagram passed away. Okay. She was the queen of purples. And so I also needed to use my best purples. Um, and I needed something that sparkled. Mm -hmm. But... Um, Amethyst uh, de Lural just didn't do it. So I found this funky Chinese ink that's called Stars Ink uh, that I just, I probably got it from YesStyle, but who knows. Um, and yeah, so that's what I used on Wednesday. So you do need the color range. That is never going to disappear. I walk around with this spark. Like if you ever see me at a pen show, you'll see me walking around with this like glitter case of uh, of rainbow that changes colors when you caress it. And I just love it. Um, and when it stops fitting into this one, I'll have to buy a second pouch because uh, I I this one's not going away. I'm going to keep using this one until like, it just breaks apart. Um, and then... You also need to have them by reference of um, brand and uh, color name in alphabetical order, because sometimes you just need to know, okay, of the hundreds of inks that Robert Oster makes, which one is this one? Because I have the name in mind and I need to compare it. Or for instance, uh, like uh, yesterday we were asking... Um, who are asking a friend to compare uh, Bisha Mountain to Tsutsuki, uh, Tsutsuji and to Star Edelstein Stars Ruby and to I don't Yamabudo uh, Yama and I don't know which other inks and so these are inks from different brands that are not exactly the same so if you're looking at it through a ring and that is by colors you might miss it and then have to go back and forth until you get the right one. And I have a lot of pinks, so that... So the solution is to swab every ink twice. Have two sets. Pretty much, pretty much. And, and, and to pick how you want to swab it, like really give it some thought. Because the first time I did it, I just went for it. And then I had to redo 100 inks. And yeah. <laughs> that takes a lot of time. So I'm willing to do in the next, the second part of 2019 all of the inks again to put them in cards but as of the moment i have the colodex i will be swabbing them twice in one go um well appointed desk that actually does this um if i've seen somewhere i can't remember whether it was on her instagram or on her blog that she you know she's swabbing the inks and she's using you can see the same color twice or thrice because she classifies them in different ways and that's really useful but the same question comes, for instance, for ink samples. Um, I, I initially uh, classified them by color, and I have no idea what color is which. It takes me an hour to find one ink sample. So now um, I'm reorganizing them now by 
so I have them all in a bag and I'm trying to put them by brands because it's just unmanageable. It's awful. All my ink bottles, they are actually classified by brands and uh, ink bottle format. So I made choices. So they're not in alphabetical order, but like one drawer might have uh, the the Girvin and the KWZs because they're square bottles or the Pen BBS will also be in the same drawer because they're square bottles. Um, the drawer, hold on, let me check who's with it. The, sorry, no, the Pen BBS and the Parker Penmans are with the, the Colorverse because I decided to get rid of the Colorverse boxes because there's too many of them. Do you normally get rid of the packaging or do you? No, no. never. Oh, the really? only exception... <laughs> The only exception is the Colorverse inks because the boxes are way so big. too big. Yes. And my apartment, which I love and I don't want to move out of, is not big enough. Like, I actually had a wall of Colorverse boxes at some point <laughs> and it felt so ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I got rid of those. I, I, I kept maybe two or three boxes. Um, because there were specific inks like the Voyager set. Of course, that one, the box is staying. But uh, the ones that are really getting used a lot, I just got rid of it, especially because they're in a drawer uh, at control temperature. So because of that, there's no light going in. So these are okay. Some boxes are actually very efficient. Some are not. Yes. Colorverse is not. Yeah. Montblanc, good. Colorverse, beautiful, but not good. Which which gets us... Which gets us... Oh, let's talk about... Um, bottles. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Does it matter to you whether it's a fancy bottle or just a really simple bottle that, you know, I, I think Robert Oster, his intention is to make something that's incredibly minimalistic. And um, I think it's made of, it's recyclable. It's, it's, you know, it's meant to have minimal impact on the environment. And it, he ships it like that as well. That's the thought behind everything. The bottles are brown. That is brilliant because the reason why most of these ink bottles need boxes is because the so light damages it. Yeah. The brown bottles is brilliant and they are not made out of glass. So if you ship them from Australia to anywhere, like even if you ship them to Alaska in the middle of winter. You, it, and the, it's, the swabbed. Break. it's swabbed the on the top so you can know exactly, exactly what color it is already. So ink bottles matter yes and no. Um, to me personally... I sometimes like them to be pretty, I have to admit, I'm, I'm girly in that way, but I much prefer function. I much prefer something that is efficient because I want my inks to last. I want them to be in good condition. I don't want the bottle to break. I don't want my ink to age poorly because of the packaging. So I have some vintage inks or inks that I got from secondhand or even some Chinese little small brand inks that are just a glass bottle clear with a label on it and a cap that is somewhat finicky those are not extremely, meant to last no they're very painful um i have one bottle of pen pen penman sapphire that came in a set with another um with another uh pen and i kept the massive box for a very very long time because well i sold a pen because i just didn't care for the pen. Um, I gave it. To, I sold it to somebody who really loves the Parker pens. But the ink, I kept it in the massive box because I was terrified that this clear bottle would age and its penmen suffer. So there you go. Now I have it in a drawer, 
um, because I know that this drawer, because of where it is, it, it's away from heat, it's away from light, it's uh, wood, it's resistant, my cats can't go into it, so it's protected. But until I got my drawers, it, I was very much concerned about this. Um, some brands also have bottles that are efficient to get the ink out of, into the pen. So Robert Oster, it's a sturdy bottle, it stands up. Um, you could topple it off if you're not careful, but you you really need to just try to topple it off. Um, you can put a, the, the, the opening of the bottle is wide enough so even a thicker pen can get in. Um, these are little details, but that make a very big difference. Um, the most intelligent ink bottles that we all love are Ackerman, for instance. The Mont Blanc shoe, which has that ink reservoir, so you tip it towards the heel. The most simple, minimal, but intelligent in that sense. I really like the Waterman bottles because they are made so you can put it on the side, yes. depending on the angle, so you can always fill your pen. Historically, the most critique bottles of ink Jabba. are... Yeah, about it. <laughs> they... Oh my God! But they they improved. They really improved the Jacques Herbin line ink bottles because I think they got so much slack <laughs> that they actually listened and improved on them. And the bottles, in a way, is that. Um, so we talked about them very minimalistic, but super smart and efficient. I love Robert Oster's bottles. Um, Colorverse is super cute, but it's sometimes uh, not very practical. But the the Biggest example of how ink bottles influence the market is I went to an event for the pilot and 100th anniversary here in Paris. And there was a lot of people who were more, they're users, but they're historical ink and especially pen collectors who I was talking to. And one lady tells me, well, look at Graf uh, on Faber-Castell, the bottles, they are so beautiful. I love to have them on my desk. Their inks for Graf von Faber-Castell are usually very are much drier inks because their pens are quite wet. Um, the colors are pretty; they're very pretty. They some of them are a little bit original. I quite like uh, burnt orange and olive uh, because those are interesting. But very often they're actually quite tame colors. They're colors that would be okay in a banker's office, even when they're original colors. Um, they go well with the spirit of the brand, but a lot of people buy those inks just because the bottles are gorgeous. So if you want to make a gift to somebody and have something that's impressive, the packaging, the luxurious feel of it, just putting it on your desk yep. says a lot. Is it an efficient bottle from an ink and pen user perspective? I'm not sure, but I understand the choice behind it. And so ink bottles are very important. Um, the one of my new gems in my collection, which uh, Mike, uh, who is this person who I met in DC, he's Mick Donna on the internet. He has an eBay account where he sells really, really beautiful collector pens. Uh, he's often also on Facebook and on Instagram. And you can recognize his Instagrams because he has uh, he tests his pens using uh, Florida Blue, no, or Diamine. I can't remember what inks he's using, but it's a blue, red and a green ink. Very classic, very soft, very vintage friendly. And he shows how flexy his vintage pens are. And uh, I love what he does. Um, meeting him at the DC Pen Show was one of the many, many, many highlights of that show. And at some point, I saw that he had this tiny little sample bottle from Waterman. And it's super bizarre because it's a 
three no it's like a 10 milliliter bottle vintage oh. bottle from like the 1950s or something Let so maybe from yeah. like a seller or um a retailer who had sample bottles it, yeah exactly it looks like something that a it looks like something that a traveling salesman would hurry to show the ink so look at the so the cap just says waterman sample ink and the bottle is tiny, and I have a picture on Instagram. So if you want to link it on show notes, you can, you can show that easily. But the the size difference between the two that's adorable, is insane. It's the same shape, and it's just the size that is completely different. Um, and the the cap normally wouldn't say this, so that's how you know that this is a sample bottle. That's why it's so small. Um, the ink inside is intact which is uh, insane. The vintage ink by Waterman usually still works really well. Um, the only exception I've had is Havana Brown, which uh, had some some uh, pigments that had dropped, settled at the bottom of the ink. So it looked a little bit like the, like the you know, the bottom of a, of a good wine bottle. Yes, with the sediment. The sediments, exactly. So you need to be careful about that. But this one doesn't have any. We're running a little bit of short of time and it has to go in 10 minutes. <laughs> so why don't I ask you the last question, which is, yes. what are you writing with today? Ah, my additive pens, fluorescent pink. <laughs> is, there a, is there a name for the model? Um, the pen is the double helix pen. It's a fairly standard. Uh, it's basically one of the two or three pen models that additive pens carries today. And the the what's special about it, other than it's a 3D printed double helix pen, it's that I put in a soft stub nib by uh, the Regalia Writing Labs, in other Ralph. words, Ralph's. Yes. <laughs> and um, basically it's a 1.5 stub that is quite flexy mm -hmm. and it's perfect to show off the shading of um, Sailor Ink Studio 273, which has this peachy bright color, but it shades with a little bit of yellow and a little bit of pink. And uh, I, I just can't get enough of this pen with this ink and this nib. It's just, it's just an excellent toy. Um, so yeah, that's my pen for today. Okay. What are um, you writing with today? I'm writing with. Oh, I bought this fairly recently um, in Sydney, and, and they charged me an absolute fortune. I shouldn't do that. I should just buy Japanese pens online like normal person <laughs> but it's a um it's a black pilot 743 which is one of my favorite um, models of the pilot pens it's got a great size 15 nib from pilot which is another one of my favorite nibs and the thing about it is it's a waverly so we talked about waverly's oh, nibs before yes. on the podcast but this is my first experience owning one and i have to say really love it it I'm not huh. someone who presses very hard usually with a nib, but this really allows me to not have to worry about pressure, um, light pressure, heavy pressure. I can use whatever I want. If I'm in a rush, if I'm, you know, um, having to take very quick notes, um, mm -hmm. I can press however I want. I can give this to someone who is not a fountain pen user, feeling completely secure that they will not break this yeah. nib because it can just take so much weight. Um, wow. And it writes in this very contained um, flow. So it's not too wet and it's not too dry. And it's yeah. inked with um, Carindash magnetic blue. I'm, I'm actually a oh. great fan of Carindash inks. Um, I don't, they don't do anything special, but I think the colors are just really spot on. Um, and I, I really love the bottles. 
Um, and magnetic blue is a great sort of shading blue black. They're stupidly yes. expensive. Um, I know <laughs> lots of people complain about they that. Are. They <laughs> but are. I think they have but just such a classic beautiful. collection. Yes, I do. They, I'm, the only reason why I don't have more Caran d'Ache is because I'm a little bit peeved off that they got rid of the colors of the earth. <laughs> I know! I have almost like, the, I have the entire set now. I do. Oh my God. And some of them I paid oh, wow. so well much for. I have backups of um, Colors of the Earth Amazon because that's my favorite color from that line. But uh, they're all amazing. And saffron especially is just beautiful. Oh, I'm hunting saffron. Every time I get to a shop that says that they have saffron, oh, we just sold it. <laughs> but the one I really like is Sunset and Amazon. I mean, I'm in love with Amazon. It's Sunset is the pink, isn't it? Green. It's a great pink. Yeah. yeah. But Sunset, exactly. I think, is the one that's closest to the current pink, the one that's in the follow-up line. They're very, very close. But the texture is not the same. Oh. The texture is very different. And I'm really into the texture of the inks. Yeah. So... Uh, I yeah, I'm, but Amazon's I'm very different. Those. Amazon's very different to the the green that replaced it. Yeah, no, no, no. The green is just sad. You 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 do if you do find that that is the one ink where I would recommend to get backups of because it's like penman sapphire. That that green is the penman sapphire of greens. It's it's just perfect. It's it's like the benchmark of greens. Yes, favorite green. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> well. Thank you so much, Anna, for being on this podcast. It's been a joy to have you. I feel like we can talk about inks for another two hours. No problem. But unfortunately, I have to let you go. <laughs> so yeah, let's sorry. just promise to be come back at some point um, and we can talk about some, something else that fascinates you. Um, so where can our listeners find you online? So they can find me on Instagram as Incantadora. Incantadora is I-N-K-A-N. T-A-D-O-R-A. It's a play of words and languages. So if you want to know more, ask me. Um, you can also find me on www.incantadora.com and on the Fountain Pen Companion, uh, which is a podcast. Um, you can find us on all Apple podcasting uh sites basically wherever you listen to your podcast if you're listening to the nip section somewhere you can probably find us in the same place basically the phantom pen companion is also you can also find it as fpc.inc um if you want to see my ink collection it's there and i'm always happy to trade or share or say you know answer questions about those inks so you can contact me via instagram or the website and i'll be very happy to reply oh and there's a youtube Incantadora, also on YouTube. Thank you so much, Anna. No, it's a pleasure. It was super fun. Next episode, all of your hashtag bring back Chuck prayers, smoke signals and messages and bottles will hopefully pay off as we get all the gang back in the same room. The plan is to have Chuck, Sharon and Tab with me to discuss their pet peeves and unpopular opinions. We may also have a small giveaway lined up, so be sure to tune in. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at the Nib section and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop into iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. If you want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib section Facebook page or at the Nib section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producer this episode was Diana Dye. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Special thanks to Anna Cheeky for being the guest host. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo is designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.